بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمدللہ tonight is the first of january in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah the blessed solar year has begun so we pray to almighty allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he forgives us our many failings in the prior year and facilitates good for us in the forthcoming year amen and we moved on to the 13th night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the illustrious companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik and I'm on the subsection in which I'm mentioning his education as given by our beloved messenger in particular where he first addressed him as Ya Bunaya i.e. my beloved son So in the report in Ibn Asakir volume 3 our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to Anas radiyallahu Ya Bunayya O my beloved son you must perform the wudu well and then your two guardian angels alayhi salatu wasallam will love you and in addition your lifespan will also be increased subhanallah So here again note He opened up the instruction with the phrase Ya Bunayya, O my beloved son. But then he mentioned something about wudu which is not well known. You perform wudu well, meaning that you do all the etiquettes, whether it's difficult or not, whether it's cold, you still do the full wudu. And then the Prophet said two things. If you do this, you get into a habit of this. Your two guardian angels will love you. So, who are the two guardian angels? So, various reports mention different figures. But here the Prophet mentioned two. <coughs> and they have affection for you. Meaning, they like purity. Angels are attracted to purity. So, if you perform wudu well, the two guardian angels have a special a- a- affection for you. And then the second amazing thing the Prophet added, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is your lifespan will also be increased. So this could be interpreted two ways. One is literally your life is increased or your lifespan isn't actually increased but you are given the blessings to do more in your lifespan. So note here, simply the Prophet ﷺ was highlighting some of the blessings of this deed which people sometimes just go through the motions. It's one of those deeds that people you know, just do as a way of habit. But the Prophet was highlighting as an immense form of worship. Indeed, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Uthman, he said, whoever performs wudu well, then all his past and future sins are forgiven. Whoever performs wudu well, then all his past and future sins are forgiven. This is recorded in Bazaar in his Musnad, number 262, Tadghib 1-103, Al-Haytami in Majma' al-Zawaid 1-237 states Hassan. So note again the condition. You perform wudu well. And then the report mentions past and future sins are forgiven. Meaning it's an immense way in which to secure the forgiveness of your sins. It thus comes as no surprise to then learn that our beloved messenger, he said, 
wudu perform well is in reality half of iman wudu perform well is in reality half of iman this is in nasai ibn majah and shaykh al-bani rahmatullah states sahih in sahih sunan ibn majah number 208 so now if you look at the context the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam his geographical location was the arabian peninsula what did they know about purification water was scarce and yeah in that environment the prophet was mentioning these things that allah is and he mentioned in this sahih hadith wudu if you do it well is half of iman meaning it is so valuable it unlocks avenues for other immense deeds so for instance the salat is unlocked with wudu <laughs> You can only offer salat without wudu if you have no water or you are very ill and you can do tayyib. But without those concessions, salat is, you cannot unlock it. So it's a key to the greatest deed of all. And of course, other deeds, to recite the Quran from the mushaf, i.e. to perform the tawaf, etc., etc. So it's half of iman. And note how valuable it is in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On another occasion, Our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam encouraged his young cousin, Ya Bunayya, O oh my dear son, keep in wudu, for if you die in that state, you will be a martyr. Subhanallah. Oh my beloved son, keep in wudu, for if you die in that state, then you will be a martyr. This is recorded in Behaqi in Shu'ab al-Iman, number 2783 or 3-29. So now what was the Prophet encouraging? He was encouraging that wudu should be a state you should try to be in for as long as possible. So obviously at certain times it's obligatory to do wudu. Here the Prophet is encouraging that you always be in wudu. And then he explained that if you die in wudu, you will be a martyr. Think about that. Allah Ta'ala honors you with martyrdom. In fact, another report, the hadith is in Tabarani. The Prophet وسلم, said that if you die in wudu, Allah Ta'ala sends Jibreel وسلم, to protect you from the taunts of shaitan. So shaitan is attacking severely at the moment of death. But if you are in a habit of keeping wudu, he keeps away from you. And the reason is Allah Ta'ala sends the archangel to protect you at the moment of death, meaning you will die with iman. So keeping wudu just generally is a good habit. And this is why there's another famous report. The hadith is in, again in Behaqi in Shu'ab al-Iman. And Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He said to Musa alayhi salatu wa salam, O Musa alayhi salatu wa salam, if you get into trouble or difficulty and you were not in wudu, you have only got yourself to blame. <laughs> so here, again, the hadith you could see, Allah the Almighty and Glorious telling His beloved messenger Musa alayhi salatu wa salam. Think about that. Wasn't He protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He was chosen. And yet even the great Musa alayhi salatu wa salam, Allah ta'ala told him, if you fall into difficulty and you were not in wudu, you've only got yourself to blame. <coughs> so what's being highlighted? What's being highlighted now is it gives you protection. Wudu protects you from problems, calamities and misfortunes. And this is why wudu is not just a deed that 
is done so you can get onto the main course as some brothers and sisters erroneously mention. The Prophet the report mentions he would always be in wudu. In fact, one report says he would do a fresh wudu for every salat, even though he didn't need to do wudu. One report adds, if you do that, this is light upon light. Uh, you to do wudu and you're doing wudu on top of that. And this is why the exorcists in particular, those who are blessed to deal with the rebellious jinn, they always are in a state of wudu. <laughs> why? Because it protects. And they even mentioned that the jinns can not come anywhere near us when we are in a state of purity. So note all of these things was being highlighted to Anas, the young Anas radiallahu. One is perform wudu well. Your two guardian angels will love you. Your lifespan will be increased. And secondly, keep in wudu. If you die in that state, you will be a martyr. And in another most informative report, our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in Kanzul Umal, number 44,154, maintain your tahara, that your rizq be abundant. Maintain your tahara, I purity, that your rizq, I sustenance, be abundant. So now what is the Prophet highlighting? He's highlighting that if you are in a state of wudu, it affects your rizq. It affects it in a positive way. Allah blesses your sustenance. And sustenance here doesn't just mean food and drink. It means blessings. Allah blesses you, i.e. if you keep in a state of purity. So now why all these things fascinating? Because you are emulating the angels. Wherever you are emulating the angels, Allah blesses that. Wherever you emulate the shayateen, you are now open to all sorts of disaster. For instance, the Prophet mentioned that the dwelling in which the Quran is recited, the angels occupy and the shayateen leave. And the opposite is true. So why? Because the Quran attracts angels. So if you've got problems in your house, what is causing the problems? The shayateen. What's causing that problem? You're not reciting the Quran. So how does that affect the shayateen? They don't like places of purity. So note again, all of this is helping to explain this glorious deed, which is valued as half of Iman. All praise and thanks therefore be to our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala for such a priceless and sadly much undervalued deed. So now just another important thing, which is worth mentioning. When you're performing wudu, you are in you are in an act of worship. So a person goes, okay, that's obvious. No, it's not. People sing in wudu. Which act of worship do you sing? So that, again, is very important. That shows that the shaitans, most of us do wudu now sadly in the toilets. That's interesting. Look how shaitan you know, messes everything up. So you're doing an act of worship in a toilet. So that's the first problem. The second problem is... Don't, you know, pollute your deed. Singing in wudu doesn't nullify the wudu. But surely it takes away the blessings. So don't whistle. Don't start. And look how interesting. Who's put that? You know, all of a sudden you feel like doing something stupid. Why is that happening in wudu? As soon as you finish wudu, it's gone. So straight away you think, hang on a minute, what was all that about? Why did that track suddenly come into my head? And that's that shaitan. Which the Prophet mentioned, who messes your wudu. So, Lord, when you're doing wudu, get rid of these habits. 
And of course, another disaster is that we waste water. The Prophet ﷺ, he never offered wudu from a tap. So we use taps. Again, that takes away some of the blessings. So the very least, um, slow down the volume of water. Some people, when they wudu, they're just flashing the water as if it's like they're having a shower. It's splashing all over the place. And I just slow it down. You, know, you don't need to do that. Some people, they go to another extreme. They do it and they turn it off. They put it back on again. Fine. But as long as you're doing it in a way that you're trying to save water. So this is something important as well. If you're doing it from a container, you can't waste water. Because why the water is there? That's the blessings of the sunnah. Another thing about wudu, which is a sunnah, which you can only do if you follow the sunnah to the letter with a container, is that after you've completed your wudu, whatever water remains in the container, you stand up, you face the qibla, and you make a dua. And then you drink that water. And the hadith says that this is the sunnah of the Prophet Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu told that to Imam Hussein. Imam Hussein respectfully asked, in Nasai Sahih, Oh my father, what is this? And Hazrat Ali said, Your father did what I, what you have seen me doing. So look at, look at the conversation. Oh father, what is this? Because your father did what you saw me doing. Meaning that I'm your father, but also Rasulullah is your father. Now, what's, why is that? That water, one report says, it has over 70 shafas within it. <laughs> so any water that you use, imagine Yorkshire water, London water, whatever water you want to call it, it becomes holy. You don't need to go to get zamzam. Right? But that can only be done with the water which you use from a container. Notice again, it's lost with the tap. So if a person is ill who has problems, it's a good habit just to do one voodoo with, this, with a container of water. But you must finish the water off. So again, you don't put too much water in the container. Why? Because how are you going to drink three liters after you've done your wudu? So just leave a little bit of the water and then you drink. And notice the water is not what you've used. It's what's left. Right? You don't start spitting back into the container and drink that. What the hell is going on there? Right? It's the water that's left. And that is the shafa. And the scholars even say that this can be done with zamzam. So if normal water becomes super shafa, what happened to Zamzam if you do that? So not again all these blessings which are related to wudu which many are oblivious to. Another blessing of wudu water is it sprinkled upon those who are ill. In Bukhari and Muslim, our beloved messenger Abu Bakr Siddiq went to visit a companion who was very ill, Jabr. He was unconscious. The Prophet did wudu and he sprinkled the water. So the scholars say even the sprinkling of the remaining water of wudu has got shafa, let alone drinking it. So all of this is something we need to be aware of when it comes to the wudu. But if you use the tap, most of the blessings are lost, you know, sadly. Then moving on to salah. Our beloved messenger, he instructed his beloved servant Anas in Tirmidhi. Ya Bunaya, O my beloved son, be sure to avoid being distracted in salah. For to become distracted in salah is a disaster. One, oh my beloved son, be sure to avoid being distracted in salah. For to become distracted in salah is a disaster. So now what is he encouraging his young cousin? He's saying to him that you must try your utmost 
to protect your salat from anything which will make you lose your attention. If you lose your attention in salat, the Prophet didn't say it's a bad thing because it's a disaster. <laughs> Indeed, our beloved messenger said, وسلم, when someone stands for salat, he is in reality conversing with his Lord. Thus, one ought to ponder how best to communicate with him. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak 1-236 and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah states Sahih in Sahih al-Jam number 1538. So this is a very important report. The Prophet is telling you when you're offering Salat, you're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, those think how or what is the best way to talk to him. So now even when you're talking to a human being, you can't use examples for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but in a human sense, when you're talking to somebody, there's certain things that you just do naturally. One is you speak clearly. You don't speak too fast. Why? Because the person will then not understand what you're saying. You make sure you get your point across. You try to use good words so you don't you know, offend the person. This is just a human being. But in Salah, you see some people, and this is how they're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now imagine somebody start talking to you like this. What's the first thing you're going to say to him? Slow down, brother, what you're saying. <laughs> Thinking maybe he's, you know, and he doesn't slow down. He just continues. Blah, 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 blah. Then what's going to happen? You're going to get angry. Thinking, brother, are you being serious? <laughs> and this is how people are speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now think about that. I'd rather do that to a human being than to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you're going to talk gibberish, talk to human beings. <laughs> but in Salat, you're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now on the day of judgment, one of the scholars said, imagine when the Lord of the worlds calls you. Because that's how you speak to him. So how are you going to speak to him when he calls you? Muhammad Isa, son of Wasim, come forward. Right? Imagine how you're going to talk to him. That's how you should talk in Salah. Now why did the Prophet say that? You know, this is interesting. Because he's telling you something about Salah. Every time you offer Salat, Allah wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you. <coughs> Think about that. If somebody goes to you, if somebody is concerned about you, what does that mean? He has love for you. So who, you notice always now and again, phone to find out how you are? Your parents. Even if you're a bit late, somebody, what's happening? Now why is that? I love Salah is that communication. So Allah is telling you through here, through his, the lips of his beloved, that this is something that I love when my servant is talking to me. And then the Prophet said, see how you communicate with him. Those our beloved messenger went on to say, if the suppliant truly knew to whom he was so intimately whispering, he would not stop to turn away. This is in Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf, number 150, Faidul 5-292. So what did the Prophet say? It's just logical. Am I talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yes. Are you going to stop the conversation abruptly? Imagine you meet, again, you can't use examples, but you know, what, can, what else can we do? You look at a person that you admire in the world, somebody who's your, your hero. Are you just going to say, 
or a pal, right? If he has eye contact with you, you're going to talk and you see the people, how they talk to their stars. They, they won't let go of their hands. Uh, and then you see the stars sometimes pulling a bit back, thinking, well, I understand. Why? Because they want that moment. When they get their phones out, you don't mind if you take a selfie. Why? Because they want to prolong that moment. So the Prophet said, if you truly knew to whom you was talking, you would not turn away. <laughs> so the Prophet encouraged that. He goes, don't turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those, is it but not natural to try to prolong one's speech with one's beloved? You look into the Quran. Very interesting verse in Surah Taha, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned something about Musa and this verse always baffles people. Allah asks him a question. What is that in your right hand? Now what's interesting about that question? Doesn't Allah know? Forget about the Lord of the worlds. If you see a person with it's a staff. You know, why is he even asking that question? What's that in your right hand? Musa wasalam, did he say it's a staff? Look what he says. I use it to knock down leaves for the for the flock. And I and then the hadith adds details. He goes, I use it sometimes to lean upon. I use it sometimes as a you know, like a when you want to get jump over a certain you know, thing in the ground. He uses it as a as a pole vault. That's the right word to use. And he went on and on. The Quran mentions a few of those things. Then Allah mentions that Musa says it has other uses. So the scholars say he went on into a great detail, but then he, out of veneration for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he abruptly stopped. He has other uses. <laughs> Why does Allah not tell him off? I only asked you, was that in your right hand? I didn't ask you to give me a lecture. <laughs> because when you're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you need to prolong it. <laughs> what, what is the most greatest honor you can be given? The conversation that our beloved had with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are constantly reminded of that when you're offering salah in the city, the tashahud. You're going through the mihraj again and again. It's all the conversation. Why is that part of your salat? The scholars say because there's a report that the salat is the mihraj of the believer. So what's interesting? Why is salat likened to the mihraj? Because you're talking about the mihraj. And secondly, when you have problems in your life and you liken that to a storm and a pilot trying to navigate a storm, what does the pilot do to get out of the storm? He goes high. He goes over the storm clouds and then he gets peace. That is the analogy of Salat. Salat will temporarily take you away from your worries if you offer it properly. But be honest, does it take you away from your worries? Why? Because you're not offering salat properly. And why should it not take you away from your worries? Because you're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note, and people ask, there's too many prayers in a day. <laughs> That's like saying, why is Allah Ta'ala booging me? You know, when somebody says that, take shahada again. Why should I take shahada again? You don't make statements like that. But that's what you just said. There's too many prayers. Allah Ta'ala wants to hear from you. And he goes, too, too much. I don't want to, you know, give me, cut it down a bit. Like the Bani Israel. <laughs> cut it down. Cut it down. Clarifying further, our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept from a servant a deed 
unless his heart is present with his body. This is in Dehlami, in his Musnad al-Firdos, 1-135, Targhim number 340. This is very interesting report. How many myriad of deeds can we do? Millions. None of those deeds are accepted. Unless your heart is present with your body. So let's forget the myriad of deeds. Just look at Salat. People even say, Well, I offered Salat, but I'm telling you, now, brother, I just went through the motions. According to this hadith, is it accepted? <laughs> Think about that. Allah Ta'ala does not accept from a servant a deed unless his heart is present with his body. Now what's interesting, go back to the previous reports. When you're talking to your Lord, you talk from the heart. It's not tape recorder. You know, sometimes the dua you notice, it becomes tape recorder. <laughs> and then you go, brother, did you... I'm saying dua, but it's like tape. You must press the play button. It's got to be from the heart, otherwise the is not accepted. One of the key elements to help us in this most important task is to simply remember our mortality. Now think about that. What helps you in salat? The Prophet told you, death. In Deilami, in his Musnad al-Firdos, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah says, Hassan in Sahih al-Jami number 862, our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa if a person remembers death in his salah, he will then be likely to pray well. Indeed, pray as if it is your last salah. Two atom bombs the Prophet gave you. You don't need to go on a course. There's a course on how to improve your salah, is there? It's not sunnah. Two things the Prophet said. If you remember death in salat, now look how interesting. Did he say, remember your own death? Mm. He didn't say that. Mm. If you, re- if a person remembers death, so you could be thinking of somebody who's died, mm. who was with you and think, well, you know, subhanAllah, he's gone. Mm. She's gone. Mm. That will help you in salat. Look how interesting. Mm. That's the first thing he gave advice. The second advice, pray as if it is your last prayer. <laughs> Shaykh Abdullah mentioned the interesting point about this. He went to see some of the inmates on death's row. And he was consoling some of them. There were some of them. I think some of them were Muslims. And he said, we're all on death's row. <laughs> because that brought a smile on to one of the inmates. Because <laughs> he was thinking, look, I'm getting closer to my you know, execution. And he said, well, we're all on death's row. And he appreciated that. Why? Because on you on death's row. Yeah, there's no you know bars stopping here, yeah, but isn't this a prison? Didn't the Prophet say this is a prison? A dunya sijnul mu'min, sayyih muslim. So you don't need bars. The Prophet said you're in the prison. We're all on death's row. So now somebody goes, okay, you've depressed the hell out of me. Why are you talking about? The Prophet said, pray as if it is your last prayer. You go to the person. He goes, right, what's your last wish? They always give him a last request. And what is the sunnah? Salah. Now, you honestly believe that those two rakats he offers before he dies are going to be like his normal two rakats. <laughs> think of Muslims. You, know, you think this guy's off his head. Put him into death row. <laughs> this is your last two rakats. You honestly believe he's going to... He'll probably start crying before he does takbir. <laughs> Allah, well, he's crying already. What's happening? Then he's prolonging it. He goes, why is he prolonging it? He goes, this is the last one. The last gasp saloon, as they say. Then you think, subhanAllah, 
the Prophet said, we should be doing this every time we pray. What does shaitan say? Shaitan makes you forget death and he whispers into you, this is not your last salat. What are you talking about? This is the 1st of January 2023. You've got another good 47 years at least. Just knock it out. Right? And that's shaitan. You respond by saying, no, this is my last salat. I'm retreated like that. And all of a sudden the salat becomes better. And secondly, you remember death within it. The Prophet didn't mention anything else. Death. Now what's interesting? Is death thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So in Salat, you would think you should be thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm conversing with him. So why did the Prophet diverge you from that? Why did he say remember death in Salat? Because death is showing haya to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Sahaba goes, we've got haya, ya Rasulullah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Haya to your Lord. And the first thing he mentioned was death. You remember death. So he is remembering Allah because he doesn't die. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to finish. Those you receive from your salah, how much you invest within it. I'll say that again. Those you receive from your salah, how much you invest within it. As our, be- as our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa so beautifully articulated. Salah is like a pair of scales. Those whoever gives a full measure will receive in full. <laughs> Salah is like a pair of scales. Those whoever gives a full measure will receive in full. This is in Behaki, Targheeb, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya. So look at how beautiful scales. They're probably always giving you images. If you give a full measure, Allah gives you the full wage. If you do less, He gives you less. And this is what you put in. So you need to put as much as you can in to get the maximum returns for Salat. And how valuable is Salat? The Prophet said in a hadith in Tabarani, and it's authentic. He said, this person in the grave, he would give the whole world and all that it contains for two light rakats, which you're belittle. So what's interesting about the report, some key words. The first thing the Prophet didn't say, Sallallahu two rakats is better than the whole world and all that it contains. He didn't say that. He goes, two light rakats, meaning you've offered it, it's a light, quick two rakats, but they, you know, you tried your best. But then he added something, which you belittle, meaning you, you, you will never appreciate that until you drop dead. And what will that person in the grave, imagine you go visit your brothers and sisters in the graves, just think about how much they were attached to dunya. You know 110% now they'll give the whole world and all that it contains, let alone what they've earned. Just if they could come back and offer two light rakats. So what is the lesson? We can still offer the two light rakats. What's wrong with this? I said to a brother many moons ago, he goes, what can I pass on to my dad who's passed away? He goes, two rakats. And straight away, I could tell by his you know, expression, uh, he didn't even consider that anything he went, and what else? Right? And then I says, four rakats. He goes, no, what else? And there you go. Then I mentioned the hadith, then he quietened. Because you're going to belittle it because you don't realize the value. Now look how beautiful. If you send those two rakats, what have you actually sent to the dead? They now understand. They go, somebody has sent something more valuable than the whole world and all that it contains. How much do they love that person who sends them two rakats? And it's a sunnah. 
Uthman, the third Khalifa radiyallahu, when one of the companions passed away, he came to pay his respects and he offered the two rakats. This is in Tabarani Sayyid Hadith. Now look at the sadness. In all the, you know, debacle, anybody offered two rakats for the dead. Everybody's looking at each other. I got the chickens. I hired the hole. You know, I'm paying the electric bill. I saw the wuzu khanara, I mean the ghusl khanara. What about the dead? And he goes, anybody done two dukats? The sunnah. Hmm? And then people go, two dukats, you know, leave that to one side and they've got more important things to do. <laughs> Imagine the dead probably strangle them, you flipping idiot. How many people came to offer their condolences? Thousands. If you all offered two dukats, how many thousands of dukats have reached it? <laughs> what a send off, isn't it? So note, something you can do regularly for the dead. You know, mashallah. So all I mentioned again today, was two things about Sayyidina Anas. The Prophet instructed him about some of the virtues of the blessed deed of wudu and then about salah. I do not be distracted in salah for this is a disaster. Are there any questions you'll like to ask?